Good morning, friends. Uh, thank you for being here today. It's an honor to uh, be here and to unpack the scripture together. If you have your Bible, I invite you to go to Philippians chapter 3. That's where we will be today, Philippians chapter 3. But this week on Friday, I was sitting with uh, Jacob Yarborough, who is our chairman of the Elder Board, and I was sitting there at lunch with him, and I just began to think about all the people here at Calvary. I know many of you are going through good times, but a lot of us here today are really just kind of going through a difficult season in our lives, and I, I just kind of really felt powerless, you know? I just really felt powerless to really come alongside a lot of people, and I really am powerless to really help us as we go through a difficult season. But as I sat there, I felt powerless, but I realized that God is not powerless. Uh, To some of us, God feels distant. To some of us, he feels mean. To other of us, he seems apathetic. To other of us, frankly, if we are at our rope's end, we probably don't really care what he thinks. Uh, I do not have a magic wand to make it better. All I can do really as a pastor is to listen, to care, to assist, But more importantly, as I sat there, I realized my responsibility, my task to continually pray for you all, but then also to remind us of truth. You know, that's kind of what we're here today for. We're here to worship, but also to unpack the scripture together. If you're walking through a difficult season, this is the truth that I want to remind you of. This is found in Matthew chapter 11. If you have your Bible, highlight this section. Matthew chapter 11, Jesus is talking and he says this, he says, come to me. All who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. My prayer for you is that you will come to the Lord and find his comfort and his infinite grace and love. Bow with me in a word of prayer and then we will get started. Heavenly Father, I thank you for today. I thank you... For what you're doing here at Calvary Bible Church, I thank you for what you have done. Lord, I just pray that you would open our eyes, that we may observe wonderful things from thy law. Lord, I pray for my friends and family in this room. Lord, many of us are just heavy. Many of us are bearing loads that we should not bear. Lord, I pray that we would come to you, that we would give it to you, and that we would find in you rest and find in you grace and love. Lord, I pray for this morning. I just pray to be glorifying to you. And I pray all these things in your precious Son's name of Jesus. Amen. Today we will read together Philippians chapter 3, verses 17 through 21. And as we read, what I really see in this passage is we see an example to follow, and then we see an example of what not to follow. Philippians chapter 3, verse 17 says, Brethren, Join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. Though many walk, of whom I have told you already, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, whose glory is in their shame, and who set their mind on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus, who is the Christ, verse 21, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity 
with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. Amen. Our culture is starving for examples to imitate. Our culture is looking for examples to mimic, and they are looking in all of the wrong places. Little boys and girls all across America run around playgrounds pretending they are someone else. Little boys dream of being Michael Jordan or LeBron James or Babe Ruth. Little girls dream of being a Disney princess or Taylor Swift. Teenagers dream to imitate the popular kids in school, hopefully to be included. Men imitate their fathers or avoid that altogether. Men imitate their bosses. Men imitate successful leaders hoping to sift off some charisma or some success. Women imitate their mothers or avoid that altogether. Women imitate a mentor or leader or dream to be a cook like pioneer woman or to be a perfect mom that they see on TV. But the world is looking for examples in all of the wrong places. As some of you know, I used to work with inner city kids in Dallas, Texas. And when I started there, I began listening to their conversation, which was not the most holy. I just might say that. Um, but they all said this guy, and he, they glorified him. They exampled him. They epitomized him as their goal, right? And this guy's name kept coming across named Little Wayne. It was like Little Wayne, Little Wayne, Little Wayne, and Little Wayne. So, you know, being, you know, me, I, I had never heard of this guy named Little Wayne. So I went on, you know, online and I found some of his music. Uh, <laughs> just to understand the culture I was dealing with and to say that his music was grotesque and repulsive would be saying it too mildly. You know, his example, his message was repulsive. And guess what happened to those students? I had one student of mine, one that was actually very close to me, he was shot and killed on a street corner for selling drugs. And it was no surprise based on the example that he tried to emulate. The world looks to the darkest of darkness for something to live by. But they should not look out there. The world should look in here. The world should see how we live, how we fellowship, how united we are, how deep our friendships are, how perpetual our joy is despite our circumstances. The world should look in here and say, I want what they have. But when the church when the church loses its brightness, then what hope does the world have? When the church points all of their light inward, how can the world really know? When the church tries to imitate the darkness, then why should the world think we have truth? When the church fails to imitate Christ, then what hope does the world really have? 
Friends, we have a responsibility as Christians to be lights to a dark world. But the lights that we carry is not the gospel torchbearer only, but rather we should be living examples of Christ-likeness. That we have a responsibility to be examples to the world on how we should live and how they should live. How to conduct oneself in our business dealings. How to conduct ourselves in conversations. How to raise children. How to have a healthy marriage. The world should see our lives and they should want to copy us. They should see how we live and they should say, I want whatever that person has. But how? How do we live an example worthy of Christ? How do we shine a light brightest in our culture? The example that we have is found in Philippians chapter 3, verses 17 through 21. And what I find interesting about this passage is that so many times we think that in order to be a good example to the world, we think that we must be perfect. But we're not, right? Maybe the standard that we should live by is not one of perfection, although we should be perfectible, but maybe it's more a matter of perspective. Notice what Paul says in verse 17. Notice what it says in chapter 3. It says, Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. What is Paul really saying here in verse 17? Paul is essentially telling the church in Philippi what? To follow his example. Brothers, join in following my example. Literally that phrase in the original language literally says to be my imitator. If you were to look up that phrase in the Greek, you would see that that word imitator or that word join in following my example. Example is in the position of emphasis. It just kind of pops off the page. Paul says to his church, be my imitator. But what I find amazing is that this is not the first time that Paul has actually said this. This is actually the fourth time in the New Testament that Paul has mentioned this. He mentions this to two other churches, to the church in Corinth and to the church in Thessalonica. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, he says this, to be his imitator. 1 Corinthians 4, 16, 1 Corinthians 11, 1, and in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. But notice how are we or how are they to imitate him? Notice what it says. Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. How are they to imitate him? They are to observe the pattern, how they really walk in the pattern that they have in us. Now, to give you an idea, that word observe more, means more than just observe from a distance. That word observe means to spy. So be my imitators by what? By spying on how I walk. Work, walk right there is a metaphor for how I live. So Paul is saying to his church, watch closely how I conduct myself both privately and publicly and copy it. Now, if someone 
spied on you, what would they see? <laughs> okay, hopefully no one spies on me. Please don't. Okay, that would be really weird and be very boring for you. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but if someone was spying on you, they would really see who you really are. Would they see in us an example to be imitated? Oftentimes, we live by this following philosophy. I want you to complete this phrase after me. Do as I say and not as I... We like to say that oftentimes because we realize our own imperfection. But Paul is basically saying here the complete opposite. He says, do as I say and also do as I do. Imitate how I live and watch my life. But just from the book of Philippians, just from these four chapters, what is the example? What is the pattern that Paul has lived by? What is his example? I'm going to say three things. A life worth imitating is one of perpetual joy, one of partnership, and one of pursuing Christ-likeness. Point number one is to imitate those who seek perpetual joy, those who have deep partnerships, and those who pursue Christ-likeness. If you think about the book to this point, these are the basic three main themes in this book that Paul has visited over and over and over again, that Paul has perpetual joy. In other words, what? Paul's joy is not circumstantial. Paul's joy is rather a choice. Let's all just be transparent and open for just a second. We oftentimes let our circumstances, let our relationships, let our sin, we let our dysfunction determine our joy. Instead of letting our heavenly citizenship determine our joy. If you think about it, any, if anyone on the face of the earth had reason to complain and to gripe and to not to be joyful, it was Paul. Because here Paul is, he has dedicated his life to the proclamation of the gospel. He has traveled all over the world to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And he has been imprisoned. He has been mocked. He has been stoned. He has been shipwrecked. He has lost Everything, and even worse, as Paul pins this letter, he finds himself in chains, in a prison in Rome, unjustly sent there, awaiting his trial before a psychopath named Nero, maybe expecting his imminent decapitation. If I were sitting in Paul's shoes, I don't think I would be joyful. Because oftentimes our joy is circumstantial instead of determined by our heavenly citizenship and our Savior. Imitate those with perpetual joy. I'm going to ask you a question. How many of you have ever met somebody that was just beaming with joy? 
What is your first reaction to that person? When you find somebody that is extremely joyful at all times, what is your first reaction? Mine is, I want to be like that. Amen? Anybody ever met that? Have you ever met somebody that's really joyful, not happy, but joyful? My first reaction is that I want what they got. I want to imitate them. But I'm not sure joy looks like walking around with this huge smile, okay? It could. But joy that is not circumstantial, people who are joyful find their value not in what the world says, but find their value in what their Savior has said. People who are joyful find their confidence not in circumstance, but in their heavenly citizenship. People who are joyful find value not in earthly success, but in the gospel. So we should imitate Paul because he has this perpetual joy, despite all of his terrible circumstances. But then we should also live a life worth imitating by having deep partnerships. Where is this theme found? Philippians chapter 2, verses 17 through 30. In these 14 verses, Paul unpacks for us his deep, meaningful friendships. What I mean by partnerships is I mean basically friendships. We see Timothy is his spiritual son. We see Epaphroditus, who is his co-laborer or co-worker in ministry, that Paul says that if he would have passed away Epaphroditus, that he would have been completely devastated. We also see a partnership with the church in Philippi, that this church is the people that Paul is ministering to and that is that he is pouring his life into. I'm going to ask you another question. How many of you have ever met anybody with deep friendships? Okay. What is your reaction to those people? I want what they have. About five years ago, I met this couple. I talk about them often, but I'm going to not list their name right here. But I met this couple about five years ago, and they just always talked about these deep ministry partnerships that they had, these life-giving, lifelong friendships. And after I got to know them for about six months, what did I immediately say? I said, I want to be just like them. I want to have those kind of relationships with people. A life worth imitating is one of perpetual joy, one of deep partnerships, and one that is pursuing Christ-likeness. What does Paul say in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8? He says this, More than that, I count all things to be lost, to be detriment, in the view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ. You know when I read that verse? Every time I read it, I say the same thing. I want that. I want to have that kind of perspective. More than that, I count all things, all things, all things, all things, to be lost in the view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, feces, that I may gain Christ. Paul says in chapter 3 that beware of the dogs, beware of the Judaizers, beware of those who mutilate the flesh. I, because I have abandoned that. 
Paul gives his credentials in chapter 3 that if anybody could be found blameless under the law, it was him. If anybody could earn their salvation before God, it was him. He was circumcised the eighth day. He sat under a, a notable teacher named Galileo, Gamaliel. And he says that all of that is detriment or loss for the sake of Christ. A life worth imitating is one that is pursuing Christ-likeness by knowing Him intimately and becoming like Him by shedding the sin of one's life and by setting their focus in the future. I want you to think about something. Another question. How many of you have met the opposite side of the coin? How many of you have ever met a super, super, super religious and legalistic person? Okay. What, what do you say when you meet that person? Most of the time we don't say, I want to be just like that person. What do we say? I don't want to be like that person, right? Why? Because legalism and rules and bounding them oneself in Rules and regulations and not in relationship with God by means of grace and love. When we see that person that finds that religion and that rule following to be life-giving, what do we say? <sighs> that is so exhausting. Amen? It's so exhausting. But a life worth imitating is the opposite. A life worth imitating is one that's not built on religious rules and standards and appearances. A life worth imitating is one that is pursuing Christ-likeness. And somebody who is pursuing Christ-likeness, what is that like being around them? It's life-giving. It's energizing. Friends, in this world, in this life, the darkness is looking at us. And what do they see? And I'm asking myself this question. Do they see people full of joy, full of deep, meaningful, life-giving friendships? Do they see people that are ridding themselves of sin and, and, and mistakes and asking for forgiveness? And for asking for forgiveness of themselves before God and their forgiveness before people? And are they shredding sin of their past? And are they focused, are the people that we are in the world they see that we are those that focus on the future now i know what some of you are thinking when you look at point number one to imitate those who seek perpetual joy and partnerships and who pursue god i know what some of you are thinking some of you are thinking just like i did that that is impossible that Byron, you're asking for too much that's impossible and friends it is impossible this is impossible. Point number one, to be that example is impossible as long as we focus our eyes on earth and not on heaven, which we will see in verse 20. But before we dive into verse 20, notice the opposite side. Notice the life not worth imitating. Verse 18, for many walk, notice that little phrase, for many walk of whom I have told you, and now tell you weeping, why weeping? To show his sincerity, that they are enemies of the cross. Who is they? 
whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame, and who set their mind on earthly things. Now, very quickly, I want you to notice the contrast before, between verse 17 and verse 18. If you notice in verse 17, Paul says to be imitators of himself by observing those, the pattern that you've seen in us. Notice that pronoun, us. Who is the us? I would say three people. Paul, Timothy, and Epaphroditus. So there's three people that they're supposed to emulate. But then notice the first little phrase in verse 18. For many walk. What does that tell you? That there's only a few examples of people that really are worth imitating, and there's a whole bunch of religious people that aren't worth imitating. That's what he says. For many walk, but who is they? Who are the enemies of the cross? Now, this is hotly debated amongst scholars in this passage, but I'm not sure why. What is the only negative group in the entire book of Philippians? It's the Judaizers. It's the ones that say that you are justified before God, not by means of faith, but means of rule following. But notice what marks these Judaizers as bad examples to follow. So Paul is basically saying, those Judaizers that come into your midst, do not follow them, rather follow me. But notice what describes them in verse 19. Whose end is destruction. Where are they going? Yeah. Whose God is their appetite, whose glory is in their shame, and who set their minds on earthly things. Point number two is do not imitate those whose God is their appetite. Literally that word appetite is the God whose God is their stomach. What Paul is basically saying is do not imitate those who are driven by earthly pleasures. Do not follow those that are seeking sensual gain, that are trying to satisfy their sensory desires. We could say it this way, do not follow those who are trying to satisfy the flesh. Number two, do not imitate whose glory is in their shame. In other words, do not imitate those people who are seeking earthly praise. Those who are seeking earthly glory. And number three, do not imitate those who set their minds on earthly things. And in other words, do not follow the examples of those who are seeking earthly possessions. I want you to think about our culture, the world today, our pop culture examples that we have today. What do all of those secular pop culture examples, what do they all have in common? Verse 19 and 20. We in our culture look to music stars like Lil Wayne who feed the flesh, right, with grotesque talk, who seek earthly praise being worshipped as a god. We seek to imitate sports stars. And what are sports stars constantly after? They're constantly after glory, right? How many championships do I win? I'm sorry, Bama fans, okay? That's what we value, but who cares? In perspective of eternity, who cares? How many championships you have? Sorry, Bama fans. 
The examples we hold in high esteem are those that accumulate lots and lots of earthly possessions and accomplishments. Men like Steve Jobs, who created the iPhone, who created a $1.4 trillion company. Do you think Steve Jobs really cares right now that he created the iPhone? Who cares? We value in our culture people that are imitating the world, that are seeking earthly praise, earthly possession, and earthly pleasures. But God does not care. Why? Because He demands, He deserves all of the glory of the world. Of all things, I heard Evander Holyfield, who was a famous boxer in the 80s and 90s, I heard Evander Holyfield recently say that God will not care how many times he was heavyweight champion of the world. God cares what he did for the people. There's some truth there. What I find interesting is that a boxer, a person like him, has a greater understanding than most Christians in churches today of what it means to be an example worthy of following. But let's not just look to the secular culture for bad examples to follow. Let's just look at today's church. Can I get an amen? We in our culture today, we elevate, you know, preachers and pastors with the biggest churches or the most excitement. We don't need to necessarily follow the pastor, a pastor just because he has the largest church or because he has the most excitement. We don't need to follow church leaders just because they have the most charisma. We need to follow people like Paul. Who aren't seeking earthly gain. Friends, where are our eyes? So many times in life we focus on all the wrong things. That we surround our world with earthly accomplishments, earthly standards of glory Instead of seeing verse 20. Notice the perspective that we should have. Instead of looking to the earth as an example to follow, an example to mimic, what should we do instead? Verse 20. It's a beautiful phrase. For our citizenship is in heaven. Highlight that phrase. For our citizenship is is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior. A Savior from what? A Savior from the payment of our sin, the Lord. That Greek word is literally kurios, but if you've been here since the beginning of Philippians, that word Lord also means Yahweh, Jehovah, the God, I am who I am. We wait eagerly for the Savior, the Lord, who is Jesus, and who is Christ. That word Christ means Messiah. Who will, notice the promise in verse 20, who will one day transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory by the exertion of the power that He has even to subject all things to Himself. What is the only way for us to really change perspectives. It is by seeing that our citizenship is in heaven. 
I love this little phrase, that our citizenship is in heaven, because it gives the idea that our identity, our worth, our value is not found in earthly things, but our identity, our worth, our value, our future is found in heaven. It is found in what our Savior says about us. Our sense of worth should not be how much money we have in the bank account. Our sense of worth should be in what our Savior says about us. Can I get an amen, please? And until we change that perspective, until we see that our value is not in what the world says, until we see that our value is in heaven, is in what God, we will struggle not to seek out the pleasures of the world and the praises of the world and the possessions of the world. We will struggle to have perpetual joy. We will struggle to have deep, meaningful partnerships in this world. Our hopefulness is not here, but it is there. Our motivation to live here is there. Our future is not here, but in heaven. We as Christians are not of this world, but we are of that world. Friends, when we have terrible trials, when we feel sensual needs, when we look at Life as just a pile of manure. What are we really looking at? We're looking at earth in our perspective here instead of turning our eyes upon the Savior that will come again and that does promise us now life. Friends, if you are trapped in this world, if you're stuck thinking about what you don't have If you're stuck thinking about what you have not achieved or how unfair life is or how miserable life is or how dysfunctional life is, then our eyes are on the wrong thing. Your eyes are here and not in heaven. Really, my application for today is a question that I asked myself at El Cazador with that awesome, cheesy chimichanga It's a question that I asked myself this week and I ask you now. Are you living a life worth imitating? If someone spied on you through your walls, which would be terrifying, if someone spied on you, would they see that you are living a life worth imitating? Do we have joy that surpasses our circumstances? Do we have friendships that we partner with in ministry? Do we have friendships that give us life? Or are we driven by what the world values? And how do you change? How do you switch? The, let me just say this. The requirement of being an example to other people, the requirement is not perfection. How could it be? When I was growing up, in church and beyond, I thought I had to be perfect in order to be an example to emulate, in order to be a disciple of men. That is not a requirement. We should be perfectible. We should be pursuing Christ. But really, the requirement, the key to really being an example worth imitating is our citizenship is in heaven, is our perfection 
perception is our perspective on not on this world, but on what God says. A final thought is this. Friends, may our lives value what God values. May our lives be lights into the darkness. May they see in us something that they desire. May our lives be full of hope and joy. May our lives be full of reminders that our citizenship is not here, but it is there. May our words be peppered with sweetness, not with saltiness. May the lives we live and the legacies we have reflect our Savior. And may we each day, every day that you wake up, let us pursue our Savior. Let us pursue becoming like Him. And how do we do that? By shedding off the sin that so easily entangles us. And let us focus on the future of becoming more and more like Him. The picture that we see in the Scripture, we shed off our sin and slowly we become more and more and more like our Savior. The closer and closer we get to Him. Friends, every day that wakes up, let us pursue Christ-likeness. And as a consequence of that, we will live lives worth imitating to other people. If this sermon is like Chinese to you, then you probably don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior. If you have never believed in Him as your Lord and Savior, He gives you the gift of eternal life by faith in Him, that if you believe in Him, that you will be saved, that He will be your Savior from your sin. He is your Lord. He is your Master. He is God. He is Jesus. And He is the Christ. He is the Messiah, the one that is sent to pay for your sin on the cross that is predicted and that will come again. Bow with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for today. I thank you uh, just for the refreshingness of your word. Lord, that we do have an example to imitate, and that is you. Lord, I pray that as we live, that we would progressively remind ourselves that we are not of this world, that we would change our perspective to what you value, to what you say. Lord, we would change our identity from massing earthly possessions to accumulating heavenly possessions to give you glory all the more. Lord, I pray that we would be lights to the world. Lord, this world is full of darkness. It is full of hopelessness. Lord, I pray that we would show people the hopefulness of our Savior through our lives and through our words and through our years and day-to-day deeds. Lord, I thank you for my friends. Lord, I thank you for your word and its beautiful truth. I thank you that you have given us promises and that our value, our worth, is not in what the world says, but is found in you who is in heaven. Lord, I thank you for my friends, and I thank you that we can just gather together, and I pray all these things in Jesus' name.